uh, get to see a lot of you. I've not seen in a while and looking forward to it. Looking forward to bringing my kids here this week. Just have a good time around the Word of God. My burden this week is very simple, okay? And I won't, I won't be, belabor anything, and I won't keep you long. But uh, I believe we need to be staunch defenders of the faith. I really do. And I think some of the simple things we have down pat, I, I think that uh, any mature Christian that's been in this church for any period of time could easily tell somebody how to get saved. I think we've got that down pat. I believe we know that, uh, we may not know exactly why, but I, be I believe we're pretty strong on the King James Bible. I think we're pretty good on that. Uh, and uh, we, we may need a little more education in that area. I believe we're pretty strong on, um, on, on traditional things that we enjoy in our churches. But I wonder if we always know why. And, and, and I teach my kids, and I may be a bad dad, but I teach my kids a lot of times it don't matter why, I just do it. And that's a good thing, but it won't hold up in a court of law. And when somebody is pressing you as to why you do things the way you do, and they're really God is dealing with them about their life or, or about salvation or whatever, they're going to want more than just a, well, because my preacher said so. And uh, I, I hope that I can lead my church that way, but uh, I don't want that to be enough. Well, why do you not drink? Well, my preacher said it's a bad thing to drink. Well, that's fine, but why? Well, now we've got a lot of <laughs> drinking preachers. I came from Transylvania County where we had 90% Baptists. 90% Baptists in Transylvania County and couldn't get rid of liquor. 90% Baptists. That means you've got a lot of drinking Baptists. So not just because the preacher said, not just because our bylaws or our constitution says, but why do you believe what you believe? And so I've got uh, some subjects this week. I've got 15. I'm only going to get six of them, so... I'm praying as the Lord leads this week, and tonight I know what I'm dealing with is something that probably nobody in here has a problem with. There may not be anybody at the altar, but I want you to know why that you have a problem with it. Genesis chapter 6, and uh, I want you to look here, I said 6, chapter 9, sorry, Genesis chapter 9, I've said numbers wrong all day long. I announced our vacation Bible school on the wrong week this morning. After pushing it for the right week, for weeks, my, my eight-year-old had the stomach bug yesterday, so my wife kept him home today, and she wasn't there to goad me. And uh, y'all preachers know what that means. And you'll need one one of these days, you young guys. You'll need one to goad you and let you give you that eyebrow when you didn't say the right date. Genesis 9 and verse number 20. Some of y'all need to loosen up a little bit. Nobody's coughing, but if you do, I will point you out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. We had a sweet lady, God love her, had a sweet lady get in the choir. She was walking up toward the choir this morning, and, and uh, she said, well, I'm going to sing until I, unless I start coughing. Everybody laughed. You know, I said, please don't do that. Please don't start coughing. Anyway, I thought about wearing a mask up here tonight just to see what y'all would say about it. I tell you, I, I tell you what I like. I'm, I'm loving, I'm loving watching people yell at each other through their masks. It's a lot of fun, and it's aggravating. No, ma'am, I said double cheeseburger, double cheeseburger. It just gets wonderful. I'm just going to write everything down and pass it in the window. Or go to Chick Fil A where you can order online. Amen. Now I got the rest of you. All right. 
Verse number 20, I don't know if I told you that. One more page, maybe. Verse number 20. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine, and was drunken. And he was, unco- he was uncovered within his tent, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. And Sham and Japheth took a, do- uh, took a garment, and laid it upon their shoulders, and went backward, and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine, and knew what his younger son had done unto him, and he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be unto his brethren. Now before we get into uh, this scripture, the direction we're headed, I'm not dealing with Noah cursing Canaan. There, There is a lot of people that uh, want to say that there's a, uh, a race, which that word is not even properly used, that the race of Canaan, or the black race, has a curse on them because of Noah's curse here. They misinterpret that as a curse from God. God did not curse them. Noah did. So that doesn't mean that to the day we're living in, there's a curse on this. That is not what that means. So if you, as a lot of people in the, in the Appalachians that believe that, that is not what your Bible teaches. Noah got angry because he goofed and he cursed Canaan. Now, what caused that? You can make all kind of uh, suggestions and all kinds of assumptions, but you can nail it down. Alcohol started all this. So tonight, I want to rightly divide the subject of alcohol, and I want to ask you the question, what's the big deal about alcohol? Every night this week, I'm going to ask you that question. What's the big deal about something? Tonight, it's going to be about alcohol. Do you know, if you, if you were having a conversation with a, a socially drinking cousin, do you know why it's wrong to get a can or a bottle or a glass and turn it up? We're going to go through that tonight. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the good time we've already had. I pray in the next few moments that you'd help us to get this scripture across as you so strongly place it upon my heart, and I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. About, uh, let's see here, about 25, 30 years ago, my uncle, my uncle Jerry, a preacher in South Carolina, took me to his mama's house, and he was showing me where he was raised, and how that, uh, in, in, in the upstate of South Carolina, in a very Christian environment, the, uh, the people around him, but his dad was a very wicked man, and he took me into the kitchen, and showed me a place where 30 years prior to that, his dad had beat him so hard that he had uh, lost an eye as a result of it. He ducked down as his dad was swinging the last time, and his dad punched right straight through the, uh, the solid wall at the house. They never repaired it. He showed it to me and my cousin, and he said, that is what alcohol will do to you. And ever since that day, I have, I have hated Alcohol. I didn't always know why. I knew that I had watched, uh, I had watched uh, the, old, uh, the old cowboy movies and, and how that when they came into town, you could hear their spurs clanging against one another as they marched across the dusty trail, swinging the half doors open, stepping in with their pistols, beating against their thighs and looking for something cold to drink. And they weren't looking for Mountain Dew or ice water. And that, those, those movies started that conditioning process 60, 70, 80 years ago. 
and it retrained the minds of American people. They look at somebody who, uh, so, let's take John Wayne, for example. They look at somebody like John Wayne, and John Wayne, John Wayne got born again in his old age. I met the missionary that led him to the Lord, Brother Bob Hawk. And John Wayne, in his earlier years, spent millions of dollars glorifying alcohol without people even knowing it. He built a mansion in Durango, Mexico, and I've been to the property. He built a mansion in Durango, Mexico, just for the purpose of destroying it with bar fights. He would let the actors come in, pretend to be drunk, beat the snot out of one another, and throw each other through windows. All of that was, was, was built around a concept that alcohol is not as bad as everybody thinks it is for the purpose of building up that industry. Now, here's what my problem is with it today, and then I'll get to the Scripture. We've, we're in a society where everybody, I, I'm aggravated about the sodomites, and I'm aggravated about the 70 million dead preborn babies and just in our country that comprises the 17th largest nation in the world. If all the babies that the United States killed were living in their own nation, it would be the 17th largest nation in the world out of 240. Okay. That's, that, I get aggravated about that stuff. But what happened is that nobody's really aggravated about alcohol anymore, see? I mean, the, uh, the, the, the Christian, the Baptist Christian man running for president in the last election was on national news with a sodomite on CNN that asked him what his drink of choice was, and he said, I'm a scotch man. Now, that was, an, that was a Baptist Christian running for president. Alcohol is just not even an issue anymore, see? That's not, and, and how that happened on purpose, see? How did it happen? Well, if they can take the reasoning behind why things are bad out of our minds, they can replace that with the idea that it's okay. And 20 years down the road from now, what has happened to alcohol will happen to the, it's already happened to the sodomites. It'll happen to uh, the polygamists. It'll happen to the, uh, the child beaters. It'll happen to all of it. Sin will become less sinful, in the eyes of people as we are being conditioned in the last days. Now, I do believe we're being conditioned. I believe we're being conditioned to just do whatever we're told to do. Having said that, look back at this story. Verse 20, And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. Now, this is a very, very intentional thing. Uh, he could have, if he had a vineyard, he could have drunk all the fresh grape juice that he wanted. But he let the sour stuff get sour so that he could enjoy the buzz off of it. And he ended up in a real, real bad mess. People look at stories like this in the Bible and they say, Oh, alcohol's in the Bible, therefore it's okay. I had one guy, bless his heart, he was a member of uh, Charles Stanley's church in, uh, I said the name, excuse me, in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And I was down... Uh, this has been 20 years ago. I was down with some missionary friends of mine in Atlanta, and their kids, their daughter was the COO of an enormous, if I said the name of the company, everybody in the building would know the company. And I spent the weekend at their mansion. I was just working with the missionary family, and they were staying with their Well, we went to First Baptist of Atlanta on Sunday morning. We sat down, and we heard the sermon, and we left out of there. And these two full-grown adults were arguing with me over alcohol in the Bible. And I'm, a, I'm probably a 12, 13-year-old kid, my son's age. And I'm like, my daddy said it was bad. Well, Jesus drank beer. Has anybody ever told you that? The first time somebody ever told me that, it was a Christian that told me that. That went to a Baptist church in the South, and that was 20 years ago. Well, Jesus drank wine. 
He turned water into wine. I'll tell you what Sammy Allen said. Sammy Allen said, yeah, he did. He turned water into wine and he made it out of pure water. <laughs> Just don't use any fermented grapes. Amen. That's right. I'll give you a few details about alcohol. Wine is mentioned 212 times in the Bible. There is a difference between wine and new wine. Don't argue with me about it. Uh, I wrote a 30-page thesis on this in Bible college, and I'm full well aware that the Bible does mention two different types of wine. There's old wine and there's new wine. Wine and the law of first mention. Now, when you see chapter 9 in the book of Genesis, this is the first time we see this happen. And the first time in the history of mankind, we see a record of a man getting drunk. And it was a God-fearing man. It was a man that out of all the population was picked out as being the best man. So don't think for one minute that just because you attend a church faithfully and regularly and you read a King James Bible and memorize a few verses and know how to sing Amazing Grace in harmony that you're beyond failure because this man was the best man. And he still had the rug pulled out from under him. It could happen to anybody in the building. I watched last week as a young man that I know very well that I'm very, that's very near and dear to me uh, uh, very proudly and boastfully uh, post some things on social media that is an absolute shame to the people of God. And it happened in the course of about six months' time. From the top to the very bottom in about six months' time, and it's happening everywhere. And to think that it isn't happening or won't happen is foolish and blindness. Now, alcohol causes some things. In this one story, alcohol caused one, two, three, four, five, six major problems. In this one story, alcohol caused shame in this one story. The misuse of alcohol caused shame. The misuse of alcohol caused undesired nakedness. I won't uh, dig too deep into this, but that's just pure and simple truth. This undesired nakedness that took place was as a result of his drunkenness. It would have never happened had he never got drunk. Alcohol here caused vehement anger. And things that were said and done that never would have been said and done had this not taken place. Alcohol caused an unreasonable mindset. Lost all sense of reason. Did things that you never would have done. Completely unreasonable on both parties. Alcohol caused, listen to this. Alcohol caused family problems and division. There's a, when I was a missionary evangelist, there was a church. Oh, mercy. It's one of those churches that when they called for me to come preach, I thanked God for the open door, but it was about like going to preach at a bar. That's about how spiritual they were. The last time I preached there, we pulled in the parking lot, and the, the person that had booked me to come for just like this, for a vacation Bible school to preach to the adults, it was the youth pastor that was arranging everything. The pastor was, didn't have nothing to do with it. The youth pastor arranged for me to come preach and tell about missions and try to get the young people started about missions. And we pulled into the parking lot, and I turned the, the motor off on our, on our Suburban, and you could feel the car vibrate. And it was in Asheville, and so I, I'm used to that. But I thought, we're at church. And we stepped out of the car, and you could hear in the church building. So they were getting the kids warmed up like... Jeff was doing a few minutes ago and walked in the door and they, they had about 10 of the kids up on the stage and they were doing breakdancing competition at a, at a King James Bible preaching church hymnal singing Baptist church in Asheville. I, I sat on the pew and I looked up the front. It broke my heart. These kids were doing, I mean, nasty, dirty breakdancing. 
on stage of the, of the church. And they'd cut the music, the kids would stand still, and they would have an applause on each kid to see who would win the competition, and that's how they opened up their VBS. That happened within 20 miles of where you're sitting in a King James Bible preaching, church hymnal singing church. Now I said all that to say this. The, the youth pastor that was handling that business came out about six months ago with an apology on social media saying that he was, a, he was privately an alcoholic. I'm talking about a, a person that was trained at a local independent, Bible, independent Baptist Bible college. A person that was trained under great... What happened? Alcohol is not dealt with as something that's like a cocked gun. Although it should be. It is glorified on billboards. It is glorified on TV. It's glorified on the radio. And if you want to get a girl, you'll get an alcohol. If you want to get money, you'll find alcohol. If you want to go places in life, you'll find alcohol. And somehow that is the train that will drive you there. Alcohol caused family problems. But alcohol caused Noah to curse a family member. Caused this godly man that found grace in the eyes of the Lord... That when God, and I don't believe that it was a, I don't believe that it was a, and this, we need to learn some things about Noah. I don't think that it was a, an accident that God saw Noah in the midst of the perverse generation he was in. The Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That means that Noah went out looking for God to help him in the midst of the generation that he was in. He sought God and he found it. He sought grace and he found it. And the man that sought grace in chapter number six was seeking drunkenness in chapter number 9. The man that found peace through grace in chapter 6 found peace through alcohol in chapter number 9. The man that was searching for help through grace in chapter 6 was searching for help through alcohol in chapter number 9. And it can happen to you overnight. That's the details about alcohol. Number 2, I want you to notice the danger of alcohol. Now, if you're a Bible turner, if you're not, don't worry about it. But if you're a Bible turner, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter number 32. Deuteronomy chapter number 32. While you're turning, I'll take a sip from my Bubba cup. Just because Pastor Dotson's name's on his cup does not mean my name is Bubba. Y'all okay? I hope none of y'all are drunks. God help us. <laughs> You can amen that, Timothy. It'll be all right. Deuteronomy chapter 32. So we saw the details about alcohol, but now I want you to see the danger of alcohol. Deuteronomy 32 and verse number 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse number 32. Now this is, every word in your Bible has a, every word in your Bible has a reason. It says, For their vine is of the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah, their grapes are grapes of gall, their clusters are bitter, their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asps. Now, if you look at alcohol like a snake, the Bible, the Bible says it's okay for Timothy to go out and drink. Now, I'll get to that in a minute, but that's what Paul, Paul, Paul said, take a little wine for thy stomach's sake. And we're going to get to that here in a minute. But that's what, that's what the excusers of this society would say. The people in the neo-evangelical one, two, three, repeat after me movement... They're going to say, well, a little social drinking's okay. What they're ignoring is right here where it says alcohol is like a snake. A venomous, poisonous serpent that wants to kill you. 
I consider wine a liquid form of the devil himself. It says, for their vine is the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Don't you notice something about the danger of alcohol? There's, in many, many cases, alcohol, when misused, will lead people into sodomy. Now, I have a cousin, C-O-U-S-I-N. I don't have a lot of cousins. Don't go look my cousins up. I have a cousin. Not all of them. Most of them are good. I have a cousin that was raised under the same Harold Ray preaching that I was raised under. Longer, ten times longer than me. That went off to college, got into drinking a little bit, got into drinking with the guys a little bit, got to enjoy what the feelings of that were doing, and he is a flagrant sodomite today. That's out with a different guy every week and posting it online. I'm talking about raised under and served under Harold Ray. And if that name don't mean anything to you, that's a very strong name to me. This cousin of mine was raised under the direction of Harold Ray and some other great preachers, and now is a, I mean, a flaming sodomite. How did that happen? I, I, I would almost bet you won't find a sodomite in the United States that's not a drinker. You almost probably won't find one without the other. Where do they meet? The bars. And by the way, your, your lovely Asheville, where Ralph Sexton Sr. preached the devil out of everybody 75 and 80 years ago, your lovely downtown Asheville has become a safe haven for transgenders, transvestites, drag queens, and sodomites. To go down there about 1 or 2 o'clock on a Saturday morning, oh, the governor says you can't drink. The governor's just doing that to make church people mad. Because if you go into downtown, you can go to Woodfin. In the parking lot of that bar next to the garage there, you can drive down 25 in and out of the week, and there's people in that parking lot drinking all night long. And they meet up with one another, and that sodomite movement just goes and goes and goes. It's dangerous like a snake. Okay, uh, alcohol and sodomy. Then we see alcohol and bitterness. Look at what it says. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Alcohol and bitterness. I have another family member that was raised under the same preaching I was raised under, the same environment I was raised under, and they have turned against God so strongly. Their spouse has turned against God to the point that they are a, an atheist. Now listen very carefully to what I'm fixing to say. This person is a third-generation missionary going back to Japan. Granddaddy, lifelong missionary to Japan. Dad was a lifelong missionary to Japan. Then there's this son, the one that I know. This son went to a, God help us, 50 years ago it was a great school. The Christian colleges are destroying the young preachers in our nation. I don't apologize for that. This young preacher went to this Christian college in the next state over from us. Went to that Christian college. And after spending four years there getting a degree in Bible... They would go out on Friday nights by the, by the instruction of their school to go witness in the downtown of the city. And they'd go and they would meet people that were drinking and carousing and gumming around. And they would taste around and they would get involved in that. And before you know it, this man that was on his way to tell people about Jesus in Japan has not been back in 20 years is a drunk that is teaching his transgender teenage children that there is no God. And without apology, I will blame every ounce of that on alcohol. Because that's where it started. 
Do you hate it yet? Or is it just an annoyance? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. All the bars have to close at 11 o'clock. Fine. <laughs> they don't care. They'll go to the ABC store and buy a truckload of it and have a party at their house. That's what they're doing. I sat down with, and I will not say who it was because y'all know the people, but I sat down with, a, with public officials in this community. They sat me down when they were shutting churches down left and right. They shut down 65 Baptist churches. Shut them down in this county. Shut 65 Baptist churches down. And I sat down with them and I said, uh, okay, shut the alcohol out. Shut, shut the grocery stores out. We can't shut the grocery stores down. Well, the disease is spreading in the grocery store. Oh, no, no, we can't shut the grocery store down. Well, why not? Well, the alcoholics have to get their alcohol. I said, I said who told you that? He said, the governor said that. Why would the governor say that? Well, if the alcoholics don't get their alcohol, then they'll beat their kids to death. That was stated in this county to my face. Oh, that's just, Otis Campbell has, and God help us, has everybody thinking it's hilarious. He drinks out of his... Uh, his uh, flower vase, and I, I think it's hysterical, but my soul, uh, somebody needs to cry loud and spare not and tell the drunks that they need to get saved. Oh, well, my uncle, you know, he's a drunk, but he, he loves Jesus. I got people telling me that. I go, well, my, my family member, you know, they drink every day, but they, they've told me about when they got saved, and God ain't killed them yet? Then they're a bastard. That's King James Bible term. Don't be afraid of it. They're not a legitimate child of God if they've never been, uh, if, they, if they can literally spend their life happily drinking and God not chastise them, they're not saved. That's what your King James Bible teaches. That's the danger of alcohol. It says alcohol and sodomy, alcohol and bitterness. Then there's alcohol and poison. Look at verse 33. Their wine is the poison of dragons and their cruel venom of asps. Now, my mother was raised at Tabernacle Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina under Harold B. Sattler. My mother was raised in that church. My, my grandfather, her daddy, was one of Dr. Sattler's first deacons and a very long-term deacon. Great people. My mom's mom left that uh, environment, okay, uh, left that environment and married a guy that was, whew, and after, when I was a teenage boy, me and my cousin started looking for him because he left her. That was her second husband. He left her, went off on a drunk. We didn't see him for years. We got to looking for him. We, we found his address in Tennessee. So and my cousin had just got his driver's license, Timothy, and he was going to come to my house in Swannanoa and get me and take me to Tennessee. And we're going to get on I-40 and drive through the gorge and go find our long-lost step-granddaddy and witness to him. Okay? That's what, that's what the plan was. That was probably on a Thursday or Friday. We're making the plans. I was smooth-talking my parents to let me get in my uh, cousin's car at the age of 16, and I was 15, and they weren't real too keen about us going through the gorge, and I wouldn't be either. But I, I was doing everything I could to convince them that this was a mission outreach to go find our step-grandfather. Less than a week later, five days later, we read in the newspaper where my step-grandfather died belly-up in a lake less than two miles from my house. In Swannanoa, at the KOA campground, got drunk with a bunch of buddies fishing on that lake, and they threw him in the water. Alcohol sent my step-great-grandfather to the lake of fire for eternity. You need to hate it. You need to look at it as your long-lost worst enemy because 90% of the problems of America would be cured if alcohol came to a stop, and it won't. 
I would, I, I would be curious, and I don't have the figures, but I would be curious. We have 535 congresspeople, and, if, and you watch it now. If Washington, D.C. becomes its own state, that'll be 538. And if, if Puerto Rico does it, that'll be 541. They're adding, I'm going to say it, they're adding more liberals to their, they're doing it in any way that they can. There'll be four more liberal senators from Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico and all these new representatives. Now listen to what I'm about to tell you. Out of 541, I wonder how many of them have never took a drop. I wonder if you can find one. I would like to have a representative from Western North Carolina that doesn't drink alcohol. We haven't had one in years. Your favorite representative, and I won't say his name because I respect the man, but your favorite representative that was here for so long, when I was a kid, for so long, I've been in the man's house, went into his basement where he showed me and the other Christian children that were touring, touring his mansion, showed me his wine cellar. I've been to the man's wine cellar as a child. This is our wine cellar. And that was endorsed. Oh, that's just, that's nothing. Yeah, but it leads to all this other stuff. And then you got dead people. And I'm not being dramatic. I hate drama. Okay? That's the danger of alcohol. The details about alcohol. Number three, and I'm running fast. There's the damnation of alcohol. Now, you don't have to turn here. I'll just read it. Psalm 75, verse number six. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one, and he setteth up another. You better thank God for those two verses. That's why we have the political environment that we have in this country. And if that changes, it'll be because God ordained it. We better get involved and beg God to let it go one way and to not let it go another way. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, and it is full of mixture, and he poureth out the same, but the dregs thereof. All the wicked of the earth shall wring them out and drink them, but I will declare forever I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked also will I cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. God uses alcohol for one reason in the Bible, and that is to describe his judgment. God refers to the dregs here. The dregs here is, represents the pity of drunkenness and how far it takes a man. When I was working at the farmer's market, I, I worked 60, 70, 80 hours a week in the sun. I mean, in, the, in these watermelon trucks, 110, 120 degrees. And they started selling these half, half uh, whiskey barrels to plant flowers in. Some of y'all may have one. And they turn it on their side, put some dirt in it, and plant flowers in it, or, or turn it up and put a tomato vine in it. You know, it, it makes for a pretty picture. And we were selling those, and my dad, who was working with me, he called me over, and I went over to, to where he was at, and he said, this is a truckload of this, these uh, whiskey barrels we just got in. I need you to unload them. But before you unload them, I want you to smell them. And I, I stuck my head down in the bottom of that thing. It was the worst smell I ever smelled. I never smelled alcohol in my life. I stuck my head down. I was probably 19. Stuck my head down, and I smelled it. The word dregs here means that the alcohol that soaks into a whiskey barrel or a wine barrel that's made out of wood, the alcohol that soaks into that, if a drunk runs out of his alcohol, his wine, his whiskey, his whatever, he will grab a hold of the bottom of that barrel. You ever heard of scraping the bottom of the barrel? He'll grab a hold of the bottom of that barrel and he'll take his teeth and he'll drag it through that to try to get a taste of those dregs in the bottom of that barrel. That's what the dregs here is. That's how far... 
Oh, well, none of my friends have ever gone that far. Well, it, they'll get there if they don't stop. And an old drunk will find himself digging his teeth in the bottom of a whiskey barrel, trying his best to get a taste of that out of there. That's the damnation of alcohol. It'll take you farther than you ever thought you'd ever go. Then there's the duty of alcohol. Proverbs 20, verse number 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. The duty of alcohol. Alcohol's mocking. Okay? This deals with pride here. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. This word mocking here, wine is a mocker, it deals with pride. It deals with scorn, looking down upon others. It deals with the running of the mouth. And when you have alcohol mixed into a group of good people, you end up with pride, scorn, and running of the mouth. That's what a mocker here means. It will make you into something that you never intended to be. It'll make you prideful, scornful, and it'll make you run your mouth. There ain't nothing worse than a loose tongue drunk. I was in Fort Benton, Montana with Morris Sherlin and Adam Johnson. We were preaching in Fort Benton, Montana on the uh, Missouri River. The town started at the river and went this way. On the other side of the river was nothing but elk and trees. And since it's getting dark and the bars lined that street, more bars in that town... More bars in that town than any other business. Probably 15 bars, and their doors are open. And then once the air condition, I guess didn't have air condition, it's like an old western town. So Morris was on this side, and Adam was on this side, and I'm standing on the street. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is to see thereby is not. And we're preaching all these open doors in the bars. For God so loved the world that he gave. Now, my father-in-law uh, was a, is a very powerful street preacher. And he got us down there, and he said, get out out there and tell them what Jesus said. And so we did, and these two drunks came out, and they could barely cross the street, walk into their car. They drove home after our conversation. They walked up to me, they got up in my face. I'll never forget this. One of them looked at me, and he said, lift a rock, split a piece of wood, God is there. I must have said that ten times. Now, here, me and my brother-in-law, we're trying to give this person the gospel the best we can. You can't reason with a drunk. They're rattling off stuff that they don't even know what they're saying. Why? The, uh, lift a rock, split a piece of wood, God is there. And, you know, they were, they were so glazed. We got done, I mean, they were trying to convince us that they knew God, they loved God, and they were living for God. Western Catholics that got in their Subaru and drove home, and I don't even know if they made it. Alcohol's mocking. Alcohol's rage. Strong drink is any type of intoxicating beverage or liquor. It says, wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. What does the word rage here mean? It means to murmur. It means to growl. It means to roar. It means to cry aloud, to mourn, to rage, to make a sound or a noise, a tumult. It means to be clamorous. The word clamorous here means an uncontrollable crowd. And when you get a large crowd of people that are intoxicated, you can't do anything with them. It means to be disquieted, which, mean, which means to have anxiety. How many drunks out there, people, and I, I mean, is, how many drinks does it take to make a drunk? Lee Davis would say that. Well, it takes a whole six-pack. Well, if you drink one, then you're one-sixth of a drunk. Y'all okay? I'm all right. hope y'all are okay. I'm trying not to spit too far because of the situation, you know. That's why I stay up here. This is nice. <laughs> A 
Amen. It means to be loud. It means to be moved, to be troubled, to be in an uproar, to be in a stir, to be in a commotion, to be boisterous, to be turbulent. And that's what alcohol will do to a crowd. Alcohol's rage, they're mocking. Alcohol's deceit. One drop leads to one glass that leads to dozens of problems. And if you'll lead your family to say never, ever even get within a mile of that stuff. I got pulled over my first, my first encounter with a law enforcement officer in Madison County. Ready? I was probably 17 or 18. Me and Todd Moses, deacon at Oak Ridge, he and I grew up together. Uh, and brother, um, what's his name? He's got that car, that auto uh, shop, that BMW auto fix shop on 213 up from, up from the power company. I went to school with that guy. Keith. Keith. Yes. We all grew up together. I mean, best buddies. And we were at Keith's house playing foosball. And we got done, and it was probably 10, 11 o'clock. Jonathan Crawford was with us. And uh, we got into the, my car, my little Ford Escort that people made fun of me for years. Little, I, I basically had to wrap up in it. Got in it and started heading to Swannanoa. I was going to drop Todd off. Dropped Jonathan off, and then I was going to go home. So we left out of there 10 or 10, 15. And uh, it's a Ford Escort. The motor in it could fit on the pulpit. And I'm coming up out of Madison County into Buncombe County on 25, and you can see the county line probably from here to me, from me to Jeff. Blue lights. I pulled over. I, I know it's speeding. Guy came to the window. I rolled the window down. He leaned his head into me, and he said, uh, you know how fast you're going? I said, uh, no, sir. He said, you're going 48 in a 55. 48 in a 55. I said, so apparently they have this automatic button that if somebody's going seven under, they're drunk. He said, young man, have you been drinking? And I, I honestly, I try not to be a smart aleck. But sometimes it's just in me. And with all due respect, I didn't say anything ugly to the guy, but this is what I said. I said, sir, I've never been within 10 feet of a beer my whole life. He said, get out of the car. The next few moments made me so angry. He made me put my hand on the roof of my car. I'm 17. He stuck his hand down in my pocket, Brother Jeff. Do I look that dangerous? And while he's got his hand in that pocket, he says, is there anything in your car you need to know about? I did it again. I said, there's 10 King James Bible and a basketball. I said, you're more than welcome to look. He took his other hand, and I'll never forget this, Brother Roger, as long as I live, the Lord will have to help me to forgive the man for it. And if I ever see him again, I'll probably knock him silly. Stuck his hand in this pocket, and that's, you know, men, how when you carry your pocket knives and your keys over the years, your pockets get worn out and the holes in them. And his three or four fingers went down on my thigh. <laughs> Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood. I was just singing hymns and shouting hallelujah like you'd be too, right? I said all that to say this. That identified me, and my dad hit the roof, called the sheriff, and this is what their explanation was. Well, we don't have a whole lot of help on the weekends. 
And the guys that work on Saturday night are kind of new guys. And they don't really know what they're doing. That's what the sheriff told my dad on the phone. Now, having said that, listen to how, the, listen how, listen how it went. I asked the deputy before I pulled off. I said, sir, why did you pull me over? He said, well, there were two or three things that, were, that I saw your car doing that made me think that you might be intoxicated because I was going a little slow, that uh, apparently as he was following me, that perhaps I had turned a curve a little too differently than I normally would have. And he asked me this question. He said, what are you doing out on 2570 at 1030 at night? I said, sir, I'm trying to take these boys home so we can go to Sunday school. That was my answer to him. See, right now, law enforcement automatically thinks that anybody that's out late is, and I thank God, I thank God that I know some of the young people in this church are out late with each other, singing and playing ball and doing wonderful things like I did when I was a teenager. I thank God that there's still some young people that are not trying to find a bad spot to hang out in. There's still some young people that are not trying to find a 22-year-old that'll buy them a beer or that'll buy them a pack of cigarettes. I thank God we have some young people that hate the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in it. Now, I'll close with this. There's wine as a medicine, 1 Timothy 5, 23. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thy often infirmities. Timothy had some kind of anxiety or some kind of stomach problem that, that was messing him up a little bit. Now, if you understand the definition here, means two different things. This word wine here is the Greek word oinos, which can mean either new wine or old wine. It can mean either one of them. So let me give you an explanation of both. First of all, that new wine would be uh, fresh-pressed grapes that, by the way, if you'll start about October and you and your kids drink uh, about a cup or two cups of fresh grape juice every day, it will prevent you from having the stomach bug in the wintertime or you'll have a whole lot less of a chance of having it. The Bible teaches us that grape juice or new wine is a preventative. It's a great thing. But in addition to that, the old wine used as a medicine, is never a beverage in the Bible and should be avoided at all costs. It's never an endorsed or approved beverage in the Bible. And the only time you see it used in any kind of positive light is in the event that it's used as a medicine. So you'll say, well, Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach's sake. It wasn't so that he could sit down and relax. A little literally meant maybe a tablespoon for the purpose of medicinal usage. But see, now we've gotten into a place right now today, and I don't have, there's not a drop of it in my house because I just, I won't do it. But we do have things like apple cider vinegar. We do have things like kombucha. Anybody ever drunk kombucha? It'll not only fix your stomach, but it'll clear out your sinuses at the same time and anything else that might be stopped up. <laughs> hey, man. Some of y'all were dying on me. Okay. <laughs> Wine in conclusion. Listen very carefully. Grape use in Bible days was made from year to year, readily producing vineyards in the Canaan land. And that is very true. Israel's a very interesting piece of property. Very interesting piece of property. Where summertime or wintertime, there's perpetual vineyards, and they could have new wine anytime they wanted to. That's why these numbskulls that say that Jesus drank alcohol, because there was no way to refrigerate it, it had to go bad. No. They had perpetual vineyards year-round, Even though they had no refrigeration, they always had access to fresh grapes, and they made fresh grape juice year-round. 
Storage vessels of animal skins were made, and when the fermentation process began, so here's how it looks. So you have this leather bag, and the grape juice was poured in there because there, no, there was no refrigeration. It was tied off at the top. They'd place it in their cupboard or whatever they had, and it was drunk within the next few hours or few days. Somebody would consume it. But in the event that one was left up there, for a period of time that would cause it to spoil or go bad, they would know that it was no longer drinkable or safe to consume when the top popped open. So mom would get up one morning, she'd go to get you know this week's stuff out of the cabinet, and maybe it was a little hotter than normal, or maybe it was a little drier than normal, whatever. The top of it popped open, she would know, oh, I can't give my kids that. Okay, so that's how they did it. What would they do with it after that? Would they discard it? No. They, there was, they would take it and they'd put it into a pot, and they'd boil it, and they would use it for whatever they could after the alcohol was processed out of it. That, now, that's historic. That's not, I mean, there, there's Jewish rabbis that'll tell you that. They'd boil the alcohol out of it and use it for whatever purpose they could find. The alcoholic wine was then used for rare medicinal purposes and for cleansing. By the way, here, here's where the medicinal usage comes in. Here you have the, uh, here you have the, <laughs> you have the Good Samaritan. Okay? And when the, the man was laying in the ditch, half dead. That's what your Bible, that's what your King James Bible says. Half dead, beaten all to pieces. The Good Samaritan gets down, goes next to him, and calls CVS and gets a bunch of controlled substances and goes and picks it up. And I'm not being an idiot, but what he did is he poured in two items oil and wine. Now, there's dozens, dozens of, of oils that God made on day three of creation that are available today as antiseptics and cleansing agents. The strongest one being oregano oil, which would be readily available in the Middle East. And that, that, is a, that right there will clear, clear anything out. Then they took that wine, that wine bottle. He'd pour that in there and clean the rest of it out. So it took the oil and wine mixture cleaned out those wounds. That's how they did it. It wasn't made to be consumed this way. It was made to be a cleansing agent on the outside. So next time you go to the spa, make sure you order you a, a vintage 1948 Italian to take with you. Pour it in the back. Just kidding. Just kidding. Don't pour that in your bath. That's worth $400. What idiot would pay that kind of money for a bottle of wine? I'll tell you this. I had a, uh, and I promise I'm done. I, I had a, um, I had a guy at a, the, the greatest revival I ever experienced in my entire life. About the second week of that, I told the church, I said, if you really want to get right with God, I'm going to put a 50-gallon trash can in the front of this church. I'm going, to put, I'm going to put white paper bags and brown paper bags. And if you've got stuff you want to throw away, uh, you can pick a color, stuff the bag, and put it in the trash can, and the church will throw it away. I had a 55-year-old man come up to me after the service, and he was shaking his head. He said, the stuff I need to throw out of my house will not fit in that trash can. And the next night, he pulled in with a dump truck in the church parking lot. People started throwing stuff into the dump truck. And an elderly man came on the stage with me, standing real nice and tall, very well kept, smelled good, looked good, probably in his mid-70s. He looked at me and he said, I was a flight attendant on Air Force One with President Ronald Reagan. And I've had a bottle of champagne that President Reagan gave to me in the 80s. And I'm putting it in that dumpster. When people really get right with God, they will see the deadliness of alcohol. And they'll throw it out.
Mark 2.22, the definition of alcohol. No man putteth new wine into old bottles. Uh, John 2.9, when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, he called the bridegroom. Tonight, do you know why you hate alcohol? Or you just hate it because the preacher hates it? Or because your daddy hated it? Know your Bible. Know why you believe what you believe. So that when you're asked the question... You can take somebody from their lost condition, lead them to Calvary using their own problems. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you. I thank you for this great church. These are wonderful.